Hi, Financial Feminist listeners. I'm Valerie, and I'm the content lead here at Her First 100K. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. That's podvoices.help. We'll also have resources linked in our show notes. We here at Her First 100K and Financial Feminist encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Thank you, Financial Feminists. Hello. Hello, Financial Feminists. Every time I do an intro, I'm like, how do I make this slightly different? How do I say the same thing but make it slightly different? Welcome back. We hope you're having a great start to your week. Things have been heavy lately, as we all know. And we here at Financial Feminist and Her First Under K, we just want to thank you for continuing to join us on the podcast every week. We hope it's a bright spot for you. We hope that it gives you really good information in order to make changes in your life, to make changes in your world, but also hopefully is a little fun because we need a little bit of fun right now. So if you're loving the podcast, please leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed. If you haven't hit that subscribe button, that is the best way to make sure you don't miss an episode. And share about us on social media. We're at Financial Feminist Podcast on Instagram and at Her First 100K, 100K, both on Instagram and TikTok. And we love, we love seeing you on your hot girl walks and sharing with your friends and family. It's the best. And we have the most exciting announcement, I think, of my entire career coming on Thursday. So stay tuned for that. Yes, it's probably what you're thinking. Yes, I'm so excited. It's not only my birthday here in a couple of days. It's also the biggest, biggest, biggest announcement that her first 100K has ever made. So if you want to stay tuned, make sure you're subscribed. On today's episode, we are so excited to welcome Sarah Jane Case, who you might recognize as Enneagram and Coffee on Instagram. Sarah Jane is a trained Enneagram teacher, author of The Honest Enneagram, and host of the Enneagram and Coffee podcast. She is a passionate advocate for your loving relationship to self and author of the upcoming book, The Enneagram Letters. I have been obsessed with the Enneagram as anybody who knows me personally knows. We get into it a little bit, but I am a classic Enneagram 2, classic 2 wing 1, although I'm showing a lot of 2 wing 3 traits recently. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, again, we'll get into it, but this is a powerful conversation about our personalities, our sense of self, how we relate to others. If there's any tool I can point to, especially for my romantic relationships, as well as our team dynamic, there's any tool I can point to that's like, that helped so much. So even if you already know your number, or maybe you don't, you'll love this episode and how Sarah Jane ties each number to our money. Plus, Sarah Jane actually in real time, live types our podcast producer, Kristen. So if you are the person who's coming into the show and is like, I have no idea what my type is. Kristen has known about the Enneagram for years and has never been able to like fully figure out what her exact type is. And Sarah Jane like gets her in like five minutes and we love to see it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. I'm so excited to chat Enneagram with you. We have chatted before about it. I think we did a live together that was super fun about money and the Enneagram. My team knows I'm obsessed with the Enneagram. Anybody I've dated knows I'm obsessed with the Enneagram. Like it has helped me so much in terms of how I view the world and not only how I view myself, but like me trying to figure out like my relationship with other people. It's been the most helpful like personality test that I've ever taken by far. For you, what about the Enneagram was so interesting and like what was compelling and attractive to you about it when you first learned? Yeah. You know, I think I started be out of a place of already being curious about humans. You know, like I was obsessed with knowing why people did what they did already. And I think if you're kind of naturally inclined to that, the Enneagram becomes a quick obsession because you're like, oh, now we have like these deeper levels of understanding. I had maybe three or four categories, right, that I was working with. Like some people really want to be successful. Some people really want to be loved. And like I think 
we intrinsically knew that. And then the Enneagram was like, well, there's nine. All nine types have like these subcategories. And so it's so intricate and so deep that when you're curious about people, there's an endless amount to learn. As a photographer, I learned like Photoshop, right? Like Photoshop is endless. You, you there's you'll never get to the depths of Photoshop. And that's how the Enneagram feels, but for people. Yeah. Can you tell us what the Enneagram is? Can you give us an explanation if somebody's never heard of the Enneagram or maybe heard about it but doesn't know what it is? And why it's useful, especially examining like not only ourselves, but maybe our relationship with money. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to what it is, it's essentially a personality typing tool uh, or a map of nine distinct personality types. Each type has something it thinks it has to be. Um, So type ones think they have to be perfect. Type twos think they have to be loved and liked. Type threes think they have to be successful. Fours think they have to be original and and seen in their uniqueness. Type fives think they have to be informed. Sixes think they have to be loyal. Sevens think they have to be happy and satisfied. Eights think they have to be strong. Nines think they have to be easy to get along with. So there's these nine things we think we have to be in the world. So we've been taught, whether that's in childhood or through perceived expectations, that this is how you earn love and acceptance and okayness in the world. And so that impacts everything, right? Like who we think we have to be. Like I will not be okay if I'm not happy and I'm not satisfied or I am not going to be okay if I don't if I'm not morally perfect. Everything will fall apart. So when we come from that place that impacts our relationships. First of all, it impacts our relationships because it's the water we're swimming in. So we think everybody else is doing this too right? Like we're like, oh, everybody needs to be liked and loved, right? Like that's like the core motivation of every person. And then you find out, oh, actually some people really feel like they have to be informed and every they need to have the knowledge and they need to preserve their resources. And sometimes relationships can threaten that. So when we have this expectation of ourselves, we, we often put that expectation onto the people in our lives. Um, and you know, when you think of who you have to be, I, when we come with money, money's a survival tool, right? This is how we kind of survive through the world. And so our relationship to money is highly going to be impacted by what we're doing to survive. Yeah. I think that it's easy to, when you like first hear about a personality test to feel like, oh, I'm all of those things or somehow none of those things. Like one of my previous partners was very resistant to the Enneagram because he's like, I don't want to be put in a box. Like I'm a multidimensional person. And I'm like, you're a fucking seven. That's what you are. And he was, he was a seven and didn't want to be put in a box. And I think, I think for me, the way I've tried to explain Enneagram, and it'd be interesting if you like, if you agree with this descriptor, it's almost what we default to. Like for me, I'm a two. I'm a classic two. Twos, their biggest motivation is they need to be loved. And a lot of people that might shock them if they don't know me personally, because they're like, don't you need to be successful? And I 100% want to be successful. Don't you need to be easygoing? Well, I'd like to be easygoing. But for me, like if I haven't done work on myself or if I'm in like a place of stress or something that like is, is, you know, I'm feeling very emotionally heightened, I default to, I just want you to love me and I just want to give you love. And that's how I'm communicating that this relationship can grow and build, like see my value and how much I love you. And so I think that's been my, my easiest way of understanding the Enneagram is it's like, what is your default state? Yes. And the reality is none of us are just one Enneagram type, right? We're all whole human beings with complex experiences and we have all nine types in us. And we've told ourselves our whole life that we had to be one. You know, we've I've been saying my whole life, I have to be a seven. I have to be satisfied. I have to be exciting. I have to chase happiness. And the Enneagram is actually here to say like, oh, you actually get access to all of the nine pieces here. Like you don't have to just do this one thing. You get to choose to do other things too. Yeah. What do you find the best way is to learn your type? Because like I've taken quizzes that I found have been useful. I've taken other quizzes that were not so useful. I personally have a book. I'll actually link it in the show notes that I found super incredibly useful. I'm trying to remember the name of it. And of course I can't right now. But what for you feels like the the way to determine what your Enneagram type is? Mm-hmm. Um, read the descriptions. If you take a quiz, you're highly likely to mistype. It's They're like 50 to 80% accurate because it's motivation-based. And when we're swimming in it, we don't really know that it's motivating us. It's driving us. So when you read the descriptor, you'll feel so seen and so uncomfortable. 
I remember I said out loud when I read mine, like someone is following me around and like reading my journal and publishing it out here. Cause it's like everything that I've ever felt and thought put into words. So if you don't feel that, keep reading. You'll find the one that makes you feel the most uncomfortable. Yeah, I think like one and three, you know, because ones are the perfectionists, threes are the achievers. And that felt very similar to me because I was like, you know, I like achieving. I think of a lot of my worth and my, unfortunately, and my accomplishments. But then when I read two, I was like, oh, fuck me. Like it literally my favorite. And this is a joke with my friends and family is in this book that I read about the Enneagram. It gives you like how to, you know, if I'm a two, how do you show me love? And literally the first one is like, tell me what you like about me. Be specific. (laughs) And the amount of times, especially with romantic partners that I have sat down and they're like, I was thinking about you today. And I was like, what about tell me what, what were you thinking about? Or they're like, they're like, you look really pretty. And you're like, tell me what, what, what about me is pretty to you right now? And tell me everything. Or like, oh, I was having a conversation with my mom today about you. And I'm like, what did she say? What did you say back? And what did she say back? Like, I need to know every single little thing. And so that was one where I was like, oh, I feel so called out in a way that I had never felt called out before. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I had a similar experience. Like I think seven is a fun one to be, you know, like sevens typically like finding their Enneagram type, but then when you keep reading, you get into it and it's like, oh, you like use your charm to get through life. And you, and it's like, you call yourself an expert really fast. And it's like, well, shut up. (laughs) But like this has been my life's work at the same time is like learning to sit with things and be comfortable with things. You know, this is how we grow. But yeah. And I think there are certain parts of the Enneagrams that, yeah, you aren't going to connect to. Like there's certain parts of twos that I like I saw in myself five years ago that I've worked through. Like twos, their kind of like reputation is they don't ask for help. And I've gotten way better at doing that because I've like made an active decision to not be that person anymore. And I think for me, again, that's why it's like the default that has been really helpful for me. Again, if you like didn't do any work on yourself, if you're at a place of like high stress and you're not able to manage it, like what are you defaulting to? I'm so glad you said that because it really, when you're typing yourself, it's so helpful to kind of go back to mid twenties, early twenties, and to think about who was I then? Because most of us, especially mid to late thirties, like we've done a lot of work, you know, especially our generation, like we've done a lot of work. So it's hard to type yourself now because we kind of start to look like more types because we're growing, which is the goal. Can you tell us about you have like a primary Enneagram type and then you have what they call like the wing Enneagram type. And it's like the primary and secondary is the way I like to think about it. Can you tell us more about what that is? Yeah. So when you look at the Enneagram symbol, it's a circle. So it has number nine at the top and it works its way up from nine to one all the way back up to nine in a circle. So when you look at your number, you're looking at the two numbers on either side of your dominant number. So you, you know, for seven, that's going to be eight and six. And each of those are your wings. So you technically, everybody always has both wings available to them. And typically they possess skills that you need. So for a type seven, that eights are really powerful. They stick with hard things. They don't mind powering up and dealing with hard things. Sixes, they're very loyal and steady. They seek security. These are things that we need as sevens. So the goal is really to have balanced wings, but typically we lean into one or the other like pretty heavily. (laughs) And so that other type is you'll start to see those behaviors in you pretty strongly as well. So it's almost like a shade of your Enneagram type. So a seven with a wing eight is like a certain flavor of seven that has some eight characteristics. And can help you, I think, figure out more of like why you're making certain decisions or why you're thinking certain things. Because for me, I actually took it recently and I was a two wing three, but I've always been a two wing one. But I have a pretty even split, I think, between one and three. And so again, it's like, I want to be loved with the side of I want to be perfect or like I want to be loved with the side of like I need to achieve. So yeah, I think it's it's a good, helpful thing to to give us even more data or more information about ourselves. Yeah. And if we think about the Enneagram as our coping skills, then as our wings kind of shift and move, it's like, what is it that I'm needing from type one right now? Like, or what is it that three, that three energy needs to come into me right now? 
that's a weird way to say it, but right. Or even like for me, I'm finding in the season of my life right now, um, I uh, not because I don't want to rest. I very deeply want to rest, but because I feel this like need to achieve and, you know, building the business and we've been doing so many cool projects, like the achievement has been driving the, the driving force in my life for like the past year, two years, probably even more than that. And so like that makes more sense to me now than maybe the perfectionist did at first where everything has to be perfect. I think when you become an entrepreneur, like the perfectionism, it, it's just not an option anymore. You're like, I have to get shit done. And so I'm not shocked for me that that is, that is uh, reflected in, in my change in my Enneagram wing. So why do you think it's important for us to not just know our own types or to know information about what we got going on, but also know other types or other people's types? Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of the magic happens. I, you know, we, when we start to look outside of our little water bowl that we're swimming in and we start to see, look at and analyze all these other water bowls, we're able to start picking up on everybody that we're engaging with, right? We're interacting with people everywhere. And one of the major things I like to do is think about the language of the Enneagram instead of the numbers. So if I'm interacting with someone and they're kind of being really, maybe they're bragging a lot or they're kind of showing me that they're successful and they're telling me how successful they've been, you know, there's a way of thinking about this where I go, oh, wow, they're being such a three right now. And then there's a way of thinking about it where I go, whoa, as a child, they felt like they weren't going to be loved if they weren't successful. So in this moment, something in them really needs to know that they're okay and that they're accepted and that they're worthy. And the amount of compassion we can offer ourselves when we use the language of the Enneagram allows us to just you know, it just allows us to see people for the little kids that didn't get their needs met instead of these big adults who are doing bad things or making us annoyed or frustrating us. Right. And I feel like also that compassion for ourselves, right? I think about that a lot where, you know, I joke sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, that was such a two thing to do. And then to your point of like digging even deeper in that, it was like, I, yeah, I have, I have a fear of abandonment. I want to be loved and I want to, I feel like the way I earn your love is by loving you or by like helping you. And the realization that like, okay, if I'm defaulting to that, what's actually going on? It's the realization that like, oh, I don't think I'm lovable unless I am, I am contributing to you or helping you in some way. Yeah. Which when we, when we use the language, right, instead of the numbers, then from there we're able to go, well, what's the next step? What's the next question? There's actually something to build on. Whereas I think when we use the numbers, it closes us down. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm being such a seven, end of sentence, end of thought. Whereas, oh, where, what, am I, what need am I trying to get met here? What need are they trying to get met here? And how can I love them better and love myself better? Yeah. And thinking about if you're a certain type interacting with somebody who, you know, has their own type, what sort of meshing is happening, right? Between like your own need versus their own need. And, you know, is that, is that currently working with each other? Are you, are you doing that in a quote unquote positive way? Like, is that helpful for both of you or is it actually, you know, maybe stirring up potential conflict or something like that. Yeah, because we're coming to the table with very specific expectations of how a person is supposed to be based off of who we think we have to be. And so when people aren't being what we think we have to be, it's very easy to feel frustrated by that or to feel confused by that or to take it personally uh, when in reality it's just like they're showing up how they think they have to be and we're showing up the way we think we have to be and that has like a fun little soup that it makes. <laughs> I thought one of the fun things we could do is go briefly through each type and talk about where they might have some money success and where they might also struggle with money. I think it'd be helpful to go through each type, name the type, and then talk about, yeah, how are they able to to show up and and maybe be good with money or what sort of strategies do they, or personality traits do they exemplify that are great with money and then maybe not so much. So let's start with, with number one. So type ones are the perfectionist. And this is more 
you know, this can be traditional perfectionism, but I think of it as more moral perfectionism. Like it's incredibly important that I be a good person and I do the right thing. And so ones tend to have this internal compass that is really an inner critic that's telling them bad, wrong, you messed up right there. And I've heard type ones say like their whole life, they thought that was the voice of God. Like that is who God is, is this critical internal compass that's saying bad, wrong, you're failing, right? So that's a really intense. So I, you know, when it comes to money, I would imagine they're going to struggle with feeling bad about spending money. They're probably going to feel like they, there's a lot of what I call perfectionist procrastination where they put things off until they can get them perfect. So, right. I'm not going to start investing until I know everything there is to know about the stock market. Yes. Yes. And, and to know how morally good the stock market is, you know, is the stock market, is it good to be rich? What if it's bad to be rich? What if making money is like morally horrible? These are the like, the things they're up against. And then also like if I can't balance my budget perfectly, if I don't make enough money to feel like I can really do it, then I'm just going to wait. Right. Or if I can't pay off $10,000 of credit card debt in a week, then I just shouldn't do it at all. They're also strength-wise, they make a rule and they follow through, right? So if they they tend to be right with routines. So if they were able to say, kind of push through that procrastination and say, okay, I'm going to pay a certain amount of month on this thing, then I'll do it. They tend to restrict pleasure. So they may go like, okay, I'm going to push through and I'm going to pay off all of this debt. But they may forget to really celebrate that or, you know, enjoy the process of doing that. Finding the balance of, of yeah, enjoying your now while also financial goals. Yeah, that's a great analysis. Uh, let's talk about twos. <laughs> I'm about to get called out really hard. Let's go. <laughs> You're going to tell us. Um, okay. So type twos are the helper. They feel as though they must be loved and liked and they earn that love and that like through flattery, through, um, being helpful to others, being of use to others. They may struggle to trust that they are worthy or lovable, uh, just because they exist just as they are. As my mentor tells me all the time, you are a human being, not a human doing, Tori Dunlap. That's it. And, you know, when it comes to money, you, you know, you can tell me, but I would imagine one of the struggles is not spending your money on other people, like not wanting to earn love by buying fancy dinners for people or taking people out or paying for people to go on trips with you because you want them to share this bonding experience with you. Sometimes a lot of twos get caught up in financially supporting their families. Um, there are several types that do that. And yeah, and kind of using money as a tool to receive love, which sounds harsh. Yeah. I think I think for me it manifests because I'm I'm not a great gift giver. I know this about myself. This is like the one biggest difference between Leslie Nope and I is I don't I like I am the human like I am real life Leslie Nope, but I'm not a gift giver. But instead I am like big words of affirmation person. Like I I am big on that. That's how I love to receive love and that's how I love to give love. And I think for me the way it shows up with money is uh, I am now in a financial place where I can spend money on the people I love. And I like to do that. But I think especially in the early days, it was a lot of like, let me go work really hard. And so then I can show up and give my time. So it was more like, let me earn money. Let me become financially stable and take care of myself, hopefully, mm -hmm. because I want to take care of others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this might sound counterintuitive because knowing you I know that you're great at self-care, right? Like you do, and, and maybe this has been growth. Am I, dude? Well, from the from the, I don't know if I am. Like, like, I don't know if I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I. It's um, getting harder and harder. It's getting harder and harder. I try to be, but it's getting harder and harder. Yeah, that's fair. Well, you seem good at self-care, and <laughs> and I think that's a big. So, yeah, but that's another area to struggle to spend money on themselves. So they may struggle to give themselves what they need while being comfortable giving other people what they need. Yeah. And I think that is that is something that I've worked on being better at. But I think actually what ends up happening for me, actually, this is a great example because I'm I'm living this right now is um, 
this is literally, this is a perfect time to have this conversation because I've been pretty burned out. I'm literally like manuscript for the book is due like tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm tired and we just launched the show and all of these things are happening. And so what I find myself doing is just shutting down because I've given so much of myself and then I'm like, I just don't want to do it. So I end up just like throwing money at things. So I'm just like, okay, I need a massage. And I don't care if like there's a like massage open tomorrow and it's super expensive. Like that's what I'm going to do. And so I feel like it's the weird response to not potentially taking care of myself as a lifestyle and instead trying to fix things quickly because I'm tired and burned out. Yeah. That is so fascinating. It's like almost like not having like integrated self-care leads to like kind of big, bigger displays of self-care. Binging (laughs) self-care. Yeah. Or just trying to solve things because now there's an issue. What do you feel like uh, twos might be good at around money? Yeah. Well, you know, I think you kind of touched on it with what you said was kind of a struggle, which is working really hard so that they can show up for people. I think that being really hard workers and being willing to do the hard work and being willing to show up. Twos also tend to thrive in the workplace in general because they know how to read people really well and they can pick up on, okay, what does my boss want from me and give that to them? Even if it's maybe not natural or doesn't come easy, they can do it. So they're, they may be more primed to promotions and just earning potential. That being said, I think the other element probably would be just, yeah, I mean, I'm going to stick with earning potential, like just highly motivated to earn more money because that's the more they can give, the more they can do. Yeah, totally. All right. Let's talk about threes. Okay. Type threes are the achiever. The story there is that I am worthless and I have to earn my worth through doing and succeeding and achieving. So that's pretty strongly tied to money, right? So (laughs) I was waiting for this one because this one I feel like is the most natural integration. Like it feels very, yeah, very tied. Our average level threes tend to get caught up in debt. You know, they tend to get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses kind of energy. Like I want to look successful even if I'm not, I don't feel successful, which feels terrible for that three, right? Because it's, it seems like I want to earn this success or I want to be perceived as successful and um, recognized for my achievements. And oftentimes they kind of spend money on the path to being recognized instead of doing the like under the ground dirty work of getting those achievements more difficultly. Yeah. So that's that really lends to debt and living above your means, you know, spending money on things that look good instead of feel good. And then strength-wise, again, they are highly motivated, highly goal-oriented. If they set their mind to being debt-free or doing things that feel good to them, they're going to do it. They're going to follow through with those intentions because they're highly motivated to do so. And they tend to f- to do the things they say they're going to do. Yeah. Okay. Fours. Type fours are the individualist, or I like the title romantic. And um, they are told that kind of the message for them is that they have to be seen in the fullness of who they are. They also feel as though they need to be significant or special in some way and or original. So these types when it comes to money, they're highly likely to spend a lot of money on very nice things so that they can live up to their aesthetic standards. Type fours tend to have like very specific aesthetic desires for themselves um, and have very specific ways they want to be perceived by other people. And so they might spend a lot of money on a few quality items, whether that's for their home or for the way that they choose to dress. Now, with that being said, um, they can also get caught up in purchasing things for who they think they're going to be because they're looking for a title, right? So fours are looking for, I'm an artist, I'm a skier, I'm a, you know, I'm a mathematician. Like they're looking for a title. And if they buy all the supplies for that title, then that makes them feel as though they might be able to have that title. And then they, they're very afraid of mediocrity. So They'd rather be a a doomed failure than a moderate success. So if they feel as though they can't reach that high level of success, then they're not going to settle for average. 
So they're like, okay, this hobby is not for me. I'm on. I've already bought all the supplies. I've spent thousands of dollars on these supplies. But you know what? The first time I tried it, I wasn't very good. And so out onto the next. And so, or even you could do that with money, right? It's like realizing, like, oh, I tried to get a budget together and I blew it. And so I'm never going to budget again because it's easier to, to just say cut your losses than it is to realize that most things we're not good at for a long time. Yeah. And that's okay. Yes. And budgeting's not very romantic. It's not very like, yeah, you have to make it romantic. Yeah. And I think that's where the strength of our fours lies is their ability to romance the mundane. When they're in their healthier levels, they can make these like ordinary activities feel so beautiful. And can I say sexy? Like just like so good. Like my husband, he describes washing the dishes like, oh, I just like I just love the warm water on my hands and like the soapy scrub daddy. Yeah. Yes. We do have a scrub daddy. There you go. Um, This is not sponsored. I don't know. I went to the Duolingo office yesterday and they did like a scrub daddy like collab. And so I have a a Duolingo owl shaped scrub daddy on my sink (laughs) and I can't wait to use it. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm really into it. <laughs> no, but I love that of like literally romanticizing your life, right? You're the main, it's the main character energy. Mm-hmm. Yes. They are the like, they are the masters of romanticizing your life. We all have a lot to learn from them. So yeah, when it comes to budgeting, if they can like get into that energy, they're going to kill it because I'll find a way to love it. Yeah. And savor it, savor the things that they're purchasing or what they're spending their money on. Cool. Okay, fives. Okay. Oh, our fives. They have a pretty strong money story. So our fives are the investigators. They are motivated by being informed, having all the knowledge. They fear depletion, so they tend to hoard their resources, which kind of has an obvious money context. Like fives tend to be great savers. Um, They struggle with spending money. They may not want to spend any money ever on anything. It's that scarcity Um, mindset of like, when is it coming back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they tend to do that with a lot of all of their resources, their energy levels, their, um, you know, how much how much time they give to people, how much money they give to people, how much affirmation they give to people. They kind of tend to keep it close at hand. So their work is really going to be in allowing themselves to be a little frivolous and have a little fun and trust that it's all going to be okay, and that they can make. They tend to limit the amount that they ask for because they think they can do without. So they're really like not likely to ask for a raise. They're not likely to ask for support. They're going to just find a way to not need the things that they need <laughs> so that they don't have to ask for more. Right. And what do we feel like their their potential like benefits are to being a five with money? Oh, they're incredible at saving money. Like they're going to just keep it all and not spend any of it and and just they may all be millionaires i don't know but they're they're saving it i was going to say if you're a 5 and you're listening to this add us tell us if you're doing what, tell us how much money you have no i love it yeah, tell us your secrets tell us all your secrets although yeah it is we we don't preach deprivation on the podcast or at her first center k so yeah you finding finding that balance i think is going to be tricky for them let's move on sixes what do we got going on Yes, our sixes are the loyalists. They value safety and security, and they are seeking certainty. They want answers. Now, with our sixes, they tend to be very loyal to jobs, to family, to friends. And that gets them into a lot of trouble when it comes to money because they two things happen. One, they don't want to be in charge. They like to be like I had a six say to me one time, like, I don't want to be the boss, but I would like to hire the boss because they don't trust authority. So they're kind of constantly testing authority, but they don't want to be the authority. So that can limit your income potential, of course, right? Because you you avoid promotion. Now, the other side of this too is that they can stay in jobs that aren't promoting them or maybe have toxic environments. They may struggle to spend money on the things they really want to do or to use their savings to live a free and happy life because they want that stability. They want that security. Now, obvious pros to this are like they're probably, and they may struggle to invest, right? Like the risk of, well, I don't want my money up in the air. I want to have guaranteed security, certainty that this is going to be okay, which is another like a limitation thing. Mattress cash as opposed to a bank or a a Roth IRA. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Now, they are likely to have a stable job for years and years and years. They're likely to, you know, buy and pay off their home as soon as possible. So these like kind of strongholds of just like I'm going to have stable certainty, but that again, that stability may limit your access to joy, access to freedom, access to more abundance. I think about like in my own life, the decision to quit my job. Right. And I remember calling my parents. I think my mom is also a two. I've never had her take the Enneagram, but I wouldn't be surprised if my dad is a six because that those stable options. Yeah. I called my parents and they were like, you cannot quit your job. You need health insurance. Like you can't do that. And of course I quit and way better off for it. But yeah, I think it, it could limit your, your ability to take either a perceived or an actual risk when it comes mm-hmm. to, when it comes to making financial decisions. All right, sevens, your type. Let's chat. We also have a very strong, <laughs> we also have a very strong money story. So, <laughs> sevens are the enthusiast. We like to be satisfied. We fear being trapped in emotional pain. We are adventurous. We love new experiences. We hate being limited. We want to keep our options open. Commitment is rough. Yeah, rough. I dated a seven. In case that wasn't clear, I know a lot. Of- <laughs> Um, we're easy to like and hard to keep liking, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's an easy way to say it. You call yourself out. I I don't mind. We're easy to like and hard to love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's actually, that's a really, that's it. That's the sentence. Um, when it comes to money, as you can imagine, people who are scared of feeling pain look for lots of escapes, lots of ways out of that pain. Some of my favorites are Target, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, buying plane tickets out of nowhere. And here's the thing. We are very good at convincing ourselves that everything is possible and there will not be any negative consequences to our behavior. So the problem here is that I and I will unconsciously fudge the numbers to myself, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy this plane ticket. It's only going to cost me $50 because of my points on my miles. And then I wait three weeks to buy the plane ticket and the plane ticket's like $1,200 now. I still buy it. And I'm like, that was $50. So um, we have we are able to convince ourselves that anything is possible, anything is real. Which is um, beautiful and exciting and also very exactly. dangerous. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. It's very inspiring if if that's your struggle is self-care, then being around a seven is very inspiring and motivating. It is also, you know, the reason that oftentimes sevens have to work their tails off constantly just to maintain the like bougie lifestyle that we enjoy because we might spend a bunch of money, then have to earn all of that money back really fast. Um or, or that commitment isn't there. You're hopping from one thing to another to another to another. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, that's the other thing is we tend to like spread ourselves really thin and struggle to follow through. So um a lot of the work that we have to do is in like how do we sit with this being uncomfortable and just get to the other side of that feeling. Yeah, my partner who's a seven like one of the beautiful things about him is he would text me and be like, I am doing this. And then five minutes later be like, and I'm doing this. And it was so exciting. And like, especially like he was trying to grow a business. And so it was like, I want to do this and I want to do this. And for me, both as a business owner and a coach, but also as a two, I was like reeling him in. I was like, I love the energy. However, like pick one thing and do that for a while before you go on to the next thing. And I will say like, I'm speaking really personally here and I'm being kind of harsh with myself just because I think that's fun. But there are sevens who save money and who like do great. I save money at this point in my life. Like we learn and we grow. And that's for every type. Like as we get healthier, we these habits shift and change. I think in terms of strengths for us, we spend money on the things we love. You know, we're not afraid to treat ourselves or to do things that feel fun. We're not as a risk averse. You know, we might take those kind of financial risks that help us to have earning potential. Right. The YOLO energy is both good and bad with sevens. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right. I have so many friends who are eights. We have a couple eights on our team. I love a good type eight. Let's talk about eights. 
I love eights too. They they are the Scorpios of the Enneagram. Like they like they do not put <laughs> up with friends. your shit. I I feel like I have a lot of eight tendencies, especially publicly. Like my public persona is very much eight. It's just like fuck you if you cross me. Go, like go away and like I will defend who like who I need to defend what I need to defend like eights have really yeah passionate justice fueled energy a hundred percent and yeah so our our eights here are the challengers they are motivated by I mean the kind of the message they received is that the world is a doggy dog place and only the strong survive so I need to become strong so that I don't get taken. Um, they fear betrayal. They they fear weakness. So they tend to power up when things get hard. Now, financial struggles. Um, eights of more than any other Enneagram type support their family members. So they tend to be really protective of their family type members. You just said that I I have again two friends who are actually ex clients of mine. So I know both their you know their personal lives and their finances. And the two I'm thinking of. Wow. Yeah really, really have gone above and beyond to make sure that their families are okay financially. Yeah. I have a type eight brother. And when I, we grew up really, really poor and he bought all of my clothes. He, he was 25 at the time. He worked his tail off, paid a lot of our bills and bought me clothes so that I could not look poor at school. And he would spend his 25 year old money. Like he was a 25 year old kid buying me things that I needed for school. Like that's the eight energy. And I think eights get like a lot of bad press. <laughs> um, but like that's the eight magic is like they're willing to do the hard things for the people they care about. And um, they don't always get the credit for that either, which is intense. Yeah. So I think they tend to, you know, work really, really hard to take care of other people. The other element here for our eights is they don't really know when to stop. So they're very prone to burnout. Um, burnout to the degree of physical illness. Like I've had eight say to me, like, I didn't know that I was working too hard until I had to go to the hospital. Like more than one eight, like lots of eights have told me that. So that's the major thing I think of when I think of like money and how their relationship to money. When it comes to strengths with money, I mean, they're not afraid to do hard things. They're, that's not intimidating to them. Things feel really, tend to feel really simple to them. Like, okay, I'm going to, well, you just do it. Like you, you're supposed to do it. So you just, you do it and you don't complain about it. Now they are also pretty bougie. They, eights tend to do things to the extreme. So anything they like, they want to, they like it a lot. So sevens and eights are similar in the sense that we both like things a lot. Sevens like a lot of things. Eights like things to have like something to the maximum. So I like whiskey. I'm going to get the most whiskey. Sevens, I like whiskey. I'm going to try every whiskey there is in the world. So um, they can kind of go to the extreme in, in either direction, in deprivation or in pleasure. Yeah. All right. Our final type, our, our little peacekeepers, our nines. Yeah. So our nines are the peacekeepers. Their message is that they need to be easy to get along with. They fear separation from the people that they care about. And the the struggles that they tend to have have to do with numbness to self and numbness to life. They don't like to feel too much, too intense, and they unconsciously just kind of numb out, whether that's through their phones or through TV or whatever they choose to do. They also may struggle with prioritization, knowing what's most important and where to go next. And because of that, that can cause them to be pretty intense procrastinators struggling to get started. So I imagine the struggles that they would have with money come from like, I don't even know where to start. The idea of this is so overwhelming, I can't even look at it. So they probably ignore their bank accounts. They probably have struggled to like start a retirement account unless it's being done for them by someone who's either a little bit more assertive or their career. They're not very likely to go out and proactively create these systems for themselves. Strengths wise, you know, they they don't need a lot. They tend yeah. to be pretty chill people. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're not like the seven. Like when we escape our pain, we're like spending a ton of money. They're more likely to just kind of quiet, stay in, stay at home, maybe go out in nature. Um, they're probably not big spenders in the same sense that like, other types might be. Yeah. That was so helpful. Thank you. 
I'm spontaneously deciding to go somewhere different in this interview. We always joke at her first under K, we've all taken the Enneagram as a team because we found it's been really helpful, both for understanding more about ourselves and also understanding how we work together. And Kristen, our lovely podcast producer, has not been able to figure out her type, but not for lack of trying. This woman knows so much about the Enneagram. And so Kristen, I'm putting you on the spot and I want to see if we can figure out your type. (laughs) live on the show or at least give like a better insight. So Kristen, if you had to guess like maybe top two, top three, like one of the, what are the ones you oscillate between? This is honestly like, it's been a journey. Um, when I first took the Enneagram, like as a test, I typed as a seven and that there were pieces. I think what's, what's hard is that I very much resonate with pieces of multiple types. I would say, I feel like I lean toward a six at moments. But I think I went through a lot in my late teens. Like I went through some like kind of traumatic-y emotional stuff. And that I really genuinely feel like there are some things that I reacted to out of that that just sort of like hung with me through my 20s. My spouse is a four, no doubt. Absolutely. Like cackling when you were talking about the four cackling in this room. I'm not kidding. Like it was hysterical because I was like, yeah, we literally had a conversation last night because he was like, I really, um, I'm just like really into men's fashion right now. And I, I want to go to this, this boutique here in town. And I, they, they have these really great, look at this suede bomber. He's like, I really, I really want to have my garden party look ready for the summer. Like (laughs) we married the same person. And it's amazing because like, it's so true and it's so honest. Like it's genuine a hundred percent. Cause, and what you said, what you said about, uh, like trying to determine like the, the basically like predetermining who you are going to be like, that's very much like what he would do. And so he kind of like finds this, uh, thing that he wants to to be. And he goes, okay, how do I like piece this together? But like you said, he wants to buy nicer pieces and he'll buy a little at a time. I mean, he's also a musician. So same thing here. But um, yeah, that cracked me up. I would say that more lately, I lean towards, I would say I lean toward a six, but I've also, a lot of people thought I was a three. I don't think you're a three. If I had to guess, I don't think you're a three. And the reason I wanted to bring you on is not just, you know, like I want to figure out your type because I want to figure out your type. But also I think if you're listening and you're the person like I so clearly am a two, I identify as that so hard. I think it's very, very easy to take any sort of test and be like, yeah, I don't know though. Like, what am I actually? So Sarah Jane, what, Mm -hmm. what sort of questions do you typically ask or like, can we get to the bottom of it? Yeah. I'm like, I'm ready to go. I love it. Like when you think about like maybe fitting in with a group or kind of the repeated patterns of like things that just kind of kept catching you up. When people met me, I would come off as um, a lot of people thought I was a bitch. That's like the nicest way to say it when people first met me, especially in high school. And I did not Mm -hmm. feel like that. Like I very much felt very open, very like (laughs) easy to talk to. Um, I was a little shy at times, which is so funny because Tori, you know, you know me a little bit. And um, I like my friends called me the wallflower in high school. God, no. I know. I know. And I'm like, I'm a very, I'm not a wallflower. <laughs> um, I'm a theater person, right? I'm an actor, um, which not that other actors are not wallflowers because I know plenty. But yeah, like my friend used to call me her wallflower. I would go into new situations and I would be very, I would like be like, how do I, how do I figure out like, how do I relate? How do I, you know what I mean? And it would take me a long time. And I think right. that's why I'd come off. Well, and immediately I want to psychoanalyze you and say, like, maybe your response to Wallflower was like, I'm not going to be that. So you went so far in the other direction. Oh, and I absolutely would at times. Like, there would be times where when people really got to know me, I was like, let me be the most bombastic person you've ever met in your life. I also have a tendency to say the thing that nobody else wants to say in the room. Um, sometimes very off the cuff. I've definitely gotten in trouble for it because I just like I think things and mm-hmm. then they come out of my mouth. Can I ask you another question? Do you do you tend to like when you meet a new person, are you sizing them up as to whether or not you can trust them? Like are you kind of like Yes. Looking for okay. And I do that very energetically. I can very quickly tell like I, I always know if there's something a little bit off about a person. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel like when a room is like really, really happy and energetic that you kind of like unconsciously want to bring it down? And if it's like really down that you want to bring it up? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay. So what part of six like does not resonate for you? Very selfishly. I know that six is very common. <laughs> and there's like a part of me that's like, I don't want to be uh-huh, common. Uh-huh. You little four. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> Yeah, I know it. Yeah, it very uh, there and there are moments where like I think people I've like resonated with my husband's name is Austin. I've resonated with him on that because he that he would say the same thing, right? He's like, I don't want to be mediocre. Kristen, that's so funny. You're like, I don't the only reason you're like, I can't be a six because I don't want to. You're like, I don't want to be in Slytherin, so I must be a Gryffindor. You know? (laughs) Well, my other question, my other question is like, do you when you experience fear, do you tend to like run toward it? Like, okay, I'm going to prove that I can handle this. Or do you tend to say like, I'm going to, I'm going to back off of this. I'm going to run away. I I would tend to avoid. And I mean, there are definitely like situations where that's different. I do find that I'll like oscillate, but I am definitely someone who's more, I will Mm -hmm. step back. Well, you know, I think you might be a six. I feel like we're giving a diagnosis. (laughs) But also, I also think it's helpful to say that those stats are like not based in reality, right? Like the idea that like sixes are the majority is kind of a made up statistic that I think isn't necessary for us to hold on to because it doesn't really serve a purpose. Yeah. Like I can, I can think of a lot of situations where when I feel, and this might be like a five wing, cause that's another number that we've thought of too is um, because I definitely am like an information person and I definitely am like a, I need to understand all of the facts first. Um, but with other sixes, I've I've noticed when I've had friendships with them, uh, if I feel like they need me too much, I start to go, no, 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 no. Like, you know what I mean? I start to pull back. Mm-hmm. And so – and mm-hmm. I think that's maybe because I probably also rec- – you know what I mean? When it's like kind of like a, not opposites attract, but like <laughs> samesies repel. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's play with five a little bit if you're okay with that. Sure. Okay. Um, I don't want to like – because, you know, I met you f- four minutes ago, so I don't want to, like, push you into to being a six for sure. So when it comes to f- five elements, d- are there things that resonate and don't resonate for you? The grouping of friendships, the um, mm-hmm. these people get to know this information, these people get to know this information, and then a very private class of people gets to know this information. That was an interesting thing when I found out about that. But again, I know that that could be part of the safety thing as well with sixes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And, and I mean, I really genuinely have just come to six more recently because I would say that I floated everywhere mm-hmm. around it. Um, and so I think I'm like looking at the sides and going like, why did I maybe think I was a five or a seven or even a three, which makes sense because, you know, you got wings and then you also have heart um, mm-hmm. and stress. But what you say, I will say like in this conversation, listening to how you talked about money, I think it actually pushed me more towards six because you talked about um, the, especially with investing, this sort of like fear that like if I put it in, like what happens if I can't get it back? And I, I literally said mm-hmm. that sentence to my husband the other night. I'm like, I know that I should be investing. I know that we have an emergency fund. I know that we have extra money saved. But like when I put money in the Roth IRA, it is never coming back. I was going to say, as your resident financial educator, uh, it will come back and it will come back uh, with a lot more money. <laughs> so please invest in your Roth IRA. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And I am, and I did, and I, and I did. I put the <laughs> the monthly amount that I have but predetermined. Totally, totally valid fear. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have one more question for you. When you're in conflict, do you tend, let's say, like you get into a fight with your your sibling or a parent? Do you move toward them in order to please and like make things right, or do you pull away and kind of isolate? I pull away and isolate. Um, usually, and I usually just kind of like shut down completely. Just like it's, it's literally like the emotions inside me dry up temporarily in a very, like it's a numbing thing. It's a hundred percent a numbing thing. Okay. That makes me oh, have one more question. <laughs> but you can see, but, but it's like, but honestly, it makes me feel better because I feel like I've been going, I literally, I learned about the Enneagram in 2015. Mm-hmm. I've known about it for seven mm-hmm. years. And like I, I've still just like spent this entire time circling and not ever feeling completely understood mm-hmm. in it, which is frustrating. So 
so the reason this happens a lot of the time is because we're a counter type. So um, every Enneagram type has three subtypes, um, social, sexual, and one and um, self-preservation. Each Enneagram type has one of those subtypes that is a counter type, meaning in behavior, you act differently than your motivation. So I'm curious if you might be a counter type of one of the numbers that you resonate with where you resonate with the motivation, but maybe your behaviors hmm. look different or they're in conflict. So it, I'm like one of the the pieces here for five is there's the sexual five, which can look sometimes like a four. They're more into one to one relationships. They're very curious about mm -hmm. people. Um, but I don't know if that's where you're at. I don't know if five's your dominant type. But do you have one of the core motivations where I'm like who you think you have to be that you're like, I definitely think I have to be this thing, but I my behavior doesn't look like that Enneagram type. Hmm. I'm really trying to think. That's a good who I have to be. That yeah, that's a it's a hard question for me to access. I also feel like um I change a lot. I'm a very mercurial person in some ways. I would say that I'm rock steady in a lot of ways, right? Like I definitely have my like pillars. But a lot of things around mm -hmm. me will change frequently. My passions, my the way that I like vacillate between friend groups, who, what I believe, like it, I, I can be very mercurial in that way. So like sometimes when I have to ask that question of like, what do I feel like I need to be? It's very hard for me to answer. I will say, Kristen, though, knowing you is fours, fours are the one where they need an identity, right? And I feel like, like, especially with like your relationship with theater is it was like, I am an actor. I need that identity, even though, you know, I might not be acting anymore. And in our conversations privately about like, you know, your career and what you wanted to do, it was like trying to figure out like, am I a marketer? Am I a this? Mm -hmm. Am I a that? So I see a little bit of four energy, at least in your career, where it was like, I need to have like this needs to make sense to me and be motivated by what I want. Yeah. And I, I think some of that too is like, to go a little deeper, is uh, that I think like social media tells you you have to be one thing too. And so I definitely think I struggle. I do struggle with that. Like, am I am I just a multi-hyphenate? Well, that feels really broad and I don't really like, you know what I mean? Um, who I have to be in this world? I what were, well, what, I would argue Krishna is probably part of the reason why finding your Enneagram type has been so difficult, right? Is it's you're like, you can't nail me down. I don't want to be nailed down. I'm a bunch of different things, but also I don't want to be a bunch of different things. So how do I find one, you know? Yes. I would absolutely say that that is very mm -hmm. much true. I get very uncomfortable in one skin for too long. I just get like a little brrr. Yeah. Can I ask, do you tend to be quick to take action, slow to take action, or take the action that you're told you should take? Gosh, it depends on the scenario. I do definitely go to people um, who I trust for advice. Absolutely. Like I'm very much like a, and a lot of times I will. Kristen, you went to Sophia being like, should I be a podcast manager? Right? Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will a lot of times wait for someone else's validation of what I am already feeling. And I would say that is a struggle in my life. Mm -hmm. If we were to look back at – and that I think is another tenet of the six is the um, uh, inability to trust your own self. Um, not the inability mm -hmm. to because you can learn to, but like the natural tendency to not want to trust yourself. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that feels right. Probably some religious upbringing there too that I think that um, not to like – shit on all religious upbringing though I say as I say shit but you know like I think I think that there are certain tenets I think there's a lot of teachings that I maybe was privy to that said you can't trust your thoughts you can't trust anything but a deity or someone who is the voice for that deity mm -hmm. and um that can that can be very harmful and I do think it is yeah mm -hmm. I think that 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 has been something that I do struggle with. And so I, I do tend to, unless it's something I'm very sure of, I will ask my husband 15 times. Yeah. So I think you're a six. Yeah. We love it. Shaka laka shaka. If you had to get probably six swing oh my five, gosh. right? Because it sounds like we got some five tendencies. Yeah. And I don't really see seven in you. Mm -hmm. And and I would guess that maybe you're a social subtype, which is um kind of the dutiful one who who's looking for like, what's the right mm. thing to do? I will make sure that I'm doing the right thing. So sometimes there's a little bit of like one energy there, but it's really coming from a place of like seeking certainty. Mm. Yeah. I think, I mean, 
Yeah. Like you talk, like I said, you talking through the money stuff, like that was honestly more mm-hmm. clarity than almost mm-hmm. anything I've read. Um, just because, well, yeah, because I'm like, that's a very tangible thing that I know exactly how I am. And it was very easy for me to hear. Oh. And so I think that that, that helped right before Tori was like, let me pull you on. I'm like, well, I think maybe I figured it out, but sure, Yay. let's play an experiment. Well, we we got we got one person typed, baby. Literally, it's been it's been like a saga every time we like have a team retreat and everybody's like, sure, you're Enneagram type. And Kristen's like, I don't know. my. I can give you my entire astrology chart. I am a Scorpio sun and moon with a Pisces rising. It's amazing. Kristen, thanks for your vulnerability. Thanks for just popping on. And Sarah Jane, that was beautiful. That was masterful. Oh, my God. That was great. Yeah. How Fun. Thank you for doing that. That was so fun. Yeah, that's perfect. Amazing. That was a fun game show. Who's that? Any What's your type? Yeah, there it is. That was so fun. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. fun. Okay. We also have another game. We're doing like a lightning round Enneagram typing, but like very stereotyping about money. You ready? Cannot wait. Okay. Okay. Which type is most likely to have books as one of the things that they value spending their money on. Oh, type five. Yeah. Nice. Why? Um, that's the the joy of their life is knowledge and reading. And if um, one time I described five's mind as a, a cozy library and I've never been thanked more for anything I've ever said is <laughs> like, that is what my mind is like. Thank you. Mm. Which type is most likely to buy a last minute flight deal? Oh, seven. Definitely. Yeah. Can't I think it's like hard for us not to buy the last minute flight deal. It's, it's so cheap though. I have to do it. I don't care where we go. Let's go. Yeah, I have an app that pings me and every time I'm like, oh, I'm not Scott's cheap flights. Is it Scott's cheap flights? It's fair drop, but we'll link we'll link both. Both of them are I'll I have a link. I'll link you. It's so good. It literally emails me like from whatever airport I choose. And so it's like from Seattle, like literally I got one today. It was like Seattle to Vegas is less than 200. And I was like, I hate Vegas, but do I go? (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm like, this is actually like, I've literally set myself up for like my specific brand of torture by downloading this app. And I can't stop. for punishment, baby. Let's go. All right. The type most likely to overspend on clothing. Hmm. I would say fours. Okay. Yeah. I want to say sense. threes, but I think it's fours. Uh, we talked about this briefly. Type that is most likely to be an oversaver. Fives and sixes. Yeah. Yeah. The type most likely to have a Roth IRA, a 401k, and a brokerage account before they turn 25. Um, well, I want to say threes, but also maybe twos because, I mean, you're out here doing it. So. We are, but I have I have a lot of three three tendencies. Yeah. Cool. Uh, likely to spend money on front row seats for their favorite band. Mm, fours and threes too. Yeah. Cool. Um, most likely to spend the most at Christmas on presents. We already know who this is. Oh, that's twos. That's our two. Or maybe an eight. We could see eight too, right? If you're giving yeah. to your family, hundred percent, we could mm-hmm. see that in eights as well. Especially if there's like your family is poor and you have some money, then the eights are like, or eights are also eights are doing the like giving um, a goat, you know, where you can like donate a goat for like, you know, you're like, oh, the person who doesn't need anything, I will donate a goat in your name Mm -hmm. to like a family who needs it in an African, right? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of shit. Or I'll Mm -hmm. do, yeah, I'll make a donation in your name to a charity. Or like I physically flew there and built a well with my bare hands. (laughs) It's very much an eight. (laughs) Look at the hands. Yeah, that's totally eights. Most likely to avoid looking at their bank account. Ooh, sevens and nines. Those are nines. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The type that has the best budgeting spreadsheet you've ever seen. Ooh, um, I'm gonna go fives and threes. Cool. I was I was surprised when you say one. That was that was what I thought you were gonna say. Oh yeah, they they might. Yeah, I'm sorry. Ones. I think ones do win on that one. Or the yeah, the budgeting, the perfect budgeting spreadsheet. Yeah, or even threes maybe too. I could see the threes trying to get their budget together. Okay, finally, 
the type that has the most robust emergency fund, like the biggest emergency fund you've ever seen to prep for any natural disaster. Oh, those are our sweet sixes. Oh, Prepping for any natural it. disaster. Kristen, Kristen's got that big ass emergency fund. <laughs> Let me just tell you. <laughs> I literally just had the conversation where I was like, hey, Austin, I think I think we should just, to be safe, double our emergency fund. <laughs> And we typed her right, folks. We Kristen, right. I remind you, you wrote these questions. So if you want, you didn't want to get called out, you should. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. I love the call out. I literally just texted Austin and I was like, I just called you out so hard on this podcast. Like, everybody's going to know about your garden party look. <laughs> oh, he just wants the garden party. It's his dream. It's his dream to be like at a dapper Gar- you know, just like yeah. the, like you know yeah. what I mean to just walk in, grab a. He drinks beer, not cocktails. To be fair, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say I feel like the cocktail goes more with the garden party theme, but we're just you know, it's fine. It's okay. We let him like what he likes. Uh, but yes, but he does like like eccentric beers. Like he likes Hefeweizens and bougie, like you know, beers. it's just yep. it's not Beautiful. your Bud Lights. Mm-hmm. It's oh yeah, and it's the ones from Germany mm-hmm. too. Not the except for except for and if you didn't know this, Trader Joe's has a Hefeweizen. Kristen's dropping all sorts of knowledge. Called Yosef <laughs> Brow. Called Yosef Brow. I want you to just think about that. I just want you to let that permeate your brain for a second. This is now Kristen's Yosef podcast. Brow. We're just living on it. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go away again. I'm sorry, but you, you. <laughs> we typed her, folks. It's great. Yeah, they got that robust emergency fund. Yeah. Sarah Jane, anything else to add about Enneagrams and money or if you are trying to figure Mm -hmm. out either your type or how to like get better at money and use your type to your advantage, what sort of advice would Mm -hmm. you give? Yes. So, you know, I think it's similar. So when you think about typing yourself, it's really thinking about who you think you have to be in the world, Um, like the standard you're holding yourself to and an expectation. Now, with that being said, when it comes to growing with the Enneagram, it's so helpful to remember that these are our coping skills. And so sometimes we need them to cope, right? Sometimes there's like correct times that they are going to show up and they're going to get us through a really hard time. And that's okay. It, the, the real work here is recognizing when am I using this at the wrong time with the wrong people in the wrong way to where it's causing harm to myself or to others? And what behavior can I choose instead? And we don't have to be so hard on ourselves. I think we can get caught up in I'm failing at the Enneagram or I'm doing it right or I'm doing it wrong. And it's like sometimes you need it and sometimes you don't. And when we use it when we don't need it, sometimes that causes harm. Totally. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Yeah. Um, find me at Sarah Jane Case on Instagram at Enneagram and Coffee, the podcast. And I have a new book coming out in the fall called The Enneagram Letters, which you can pre-order now. Yay. So. You can go ahead and check it out. We'll drop everything in the show notes. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you again to Sarah Jane for joining us for this episode. We just had so much fun. I think there was like a gas leak in in the studio. We just had a great time. She was so, so lovely to talk to and is such a wealth of knowledge about the Enneagram and how to make it relevant to your own life. Find her new book, The Enneagram Letters, out now and make sure to follow Sarah Jane on social. We have all of her links in the show notes. As always, please make sure if you're enjoying Financial Feminist to subscribe and leave us a review on your preferred podcasting platform. We release a ton of content on our Financial Feminist podcast Instagram that explores more content of the episode, connects you to the guests. So if you're not already following us over there, please feel free to do so. And if you are joining us and this is you know something you're new to, our Money Personality Quiz is absolutely free and it is the best way to get started with our resources. If you are financially struggling, you're wondering where to start, you're like, where do I go? We have compiled all of those resources very specifically by personality, by what your goals are. So feel free to take that quiz. It is always linked in our show notes. Thank you for your support as always. Have a good week. Hang in there, financial feminists, and I'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Olivia Koning, Sharice Wade, Alina Helzer, Paulina Isaac, Sophia Cohen, Valerie Oresco, Jack Koning, and Anna Alexandra. Research by Ariel Johnson, audio engineering by Austin Fields, promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, photography by Sarah Wolf, and theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. 
A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com. 